1: Did Jesus' claims actually line up with science, history, and logic? Join Josh McDallas. he describes how an alcoholic father, traumatic childhood abuse, and trying to prove Christians wrong brought him to become one of the most prominent apologetic voices of the century. Be encouraged by his radical transformation and his past and current work for Christ that is changing the hearts and minds of people around the world. Welcome to a new episode of the Word Sound and Power Hour. Now, the Word Sound and Power Hour is all about the Word of God and the sound. In our case, of of reggae music and the power of the Holy Spirit and. As I recall, growing up in a Christian household, well, my dad was a Christian. He was raised in the church, but he didn't give his life to Christ until many, many years later. And it was at a Billy Graham crusade. My dad was an intellectual. My dad was um, all about facts. Give me just the facts, man. And there was a, a book that forever transformed his life that was in my bathroom. This is the new version of it. (laughs) The old one was white and red. uh, You didn't tear the pages
2: out to use them, did you? Uh, No, I
1: didn't. (laughs) This book, I would would pen through it or, or, or page through it as I had those long calls as my grandma would call them. And I learned so much over the years And I never imagined that the author of More Than a Carpenter, the author of Evidence That Demands a Verdict and 148 plus other books would be here, Josh McDowell. I am so excited. How are you doing today?
2: I'm doing great. You probably never believed I would become a fan of (laughs) Christafari. You know, how did that all come about? (laughs) You
1: of me.
2: <laughs> yeah. do you remember we corresponded and you drove down and we had lunch together. I do remember and that. I walked away and, and I walked away just thinking, wow, they're genuine <laughs> and uh, I like the way you use music for evangelism. Amen. I told someone today, they're the queen of doing it. Okay.
1: Amen. Well, I, that that means the world to me. I. Can't believe that I'm hearing those words, and in fact, every once in a while, I uh, I get an email from you, and my mind is blown. And of course, I have to show my mom and my dad, and they're like, "Oh my gosh!" <laughs> it's just <laughs> a blessing to know that. First of all, you're you're on our email list. Second of all, uh, over the years, you've not just prayed for us, but you've helped send us to places, and uh, obviously, you've blessed us with these books over the years and so i want to i want the world to get to know you as i know you now first of all when i met you i was waiting and it was in san juan capistrano my wife and i were we're in a restaurant looking around for this Josh McDowell. We were expecting a guy to come in, maybe a maybe a suit or a blazer, you know, he was gonna be maybe driving a Mercedes or something like that. And you were dressed in like all yellow. I think you had a yellow Jeep and <laughs> I think you you on your neck was something that flavored. Yellow Flava.
2: shorts and a yellow shirt. You, and you a were. yellow streak going down my back. You were you were all like you were the youngest
1: person in the entire room, including myself. <laughs> How have you kept that that spark over the years?
2: Well, it's good food, good exercise, and great sex. Oh, gosh.
1: <laughs> and, then, and that is, wow, that is great. Okay.
2: Well, that's biblical.
1: <laughs> it sure is. In fact, uh, yeah, and, and I know that you're all about being biblical because I have here why true love waits and i I remember speaking with you at that time you were really really passionate about this whole epidemic pandemic of pornography especially in as you were ministering in central and south america and we were even talking at that time of possibly doing something where we were going to tie in our uh love of my life song that talks about waiting until you get married with your your messages as you were speaking in all these different nations you were realizing that all these kids are on their smartphones looking at porn and you you knew that that was destroying them how is how negative is that to people and and what is the well, solution
2: I wanted to do something with you but you were so expensive i couldn't afford it oh, well now we're missionaries <laughs> let's go <laughs> yeah because uh, so, what's your question?
1: Yeah, uh, about just even even with what's been happening lately with COVID, uh, pornography is skyrocketing. How is it bad? And obviously, what is the solution?
2: Well, Chuck Swindoll, Pastor Swindoll called me and he said, "Josh, porn is the greatest cancer in the history of the church." Wow. I can say there's not a church in the world that probably the number one problem is not porn, not one church. Wow. From a little one to a big one, it's porn. problem is most pastors aren't even aware of it. Porn is destroying, simultaneously destroying more people, more pastors, more churches, more marriages, more relationships, more young people than anything ever has in history simultaneously Mm. at any one moment in every culture in the world. It is so big. There's 26 million pornographic websites, about 2.3 billion uh, web pages, one click away. You can access right in your home anything. And it's just one of those sites, you printed out what they do in 24 hours of distribution of porn, on an eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper printed out, it would fill the Empire State Building. My gosh. That's in one day, one site, wow. and so it is huge. Sixty-some percent of all Christian divorces now is pornography. Wow! Probably fifty-some percent of all evangelical pastors are addicted to porn, and even a greater percentage of that with um, youth pastors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, is we've never faced anything so dev- devastating. And one of the first things porn does is it starts to erode your love for Christ. And with everyone, no matter your age or what, man, woman, child or what, it erodes the the source of your authority. All of a sudden you start to question the scriptures, Christ, your pastor, your parents, your teacher and all. Uh, And it becomes all dominant in your life. And the thing with porn, it's far harder to stop addiction to porn by far than it is to heroin, cocaine, or any other um, epidemic. Wow. And and porn almost always leads to child sex trafficking. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, Almost always. It's probably the number one cause of child sex trafficking. Wow. Because they go through... You see, with all other addictions, you need more of that addiction, like heroin, cocaine, whatever, to maintain your addiction. Mm -hmm. That's not true with porn. Mm. With porn, you need different. Mm. You might start out with heterosexual pornography, and then that wears off. Having more of it would depress you. Mm. Maybe you have to go to oral sex pornography, then anal sex pornography, and then homosexual pornography, and then child pornography. And after a while, the next step is living it out. Mm. And you go into child sex trafficking. Mm. Uh, probably within 60 minutes, when a child is taken for sex trafficking, they're um, they're uh, they're prepared for pornography within 60 minutes, one hour. Wow. They're they're prepped to be used in pornography. And uh, so yes, porn is the greatest challenge in the history of culture. Wow.
1: We were just ministering just a few months ago in Thailand, and it was a unique place to be in Pattaya and to be set up in an outdoor mall right in the center of where all the—it's pretty much the the center of sex trafficking in the world—and to be preaching the gospel night after night. And on a given night, we would do three hours. I'd preach the gospel five different times, and to see— pimps and hoes and johns and all these people there and you know people from all different countries all people from closed countries a lot of muslim countries coming to this place to get their their freak on and hearing the gospel it was a dark time <laughs> a very
2: dark time and that's if- why I said- go ahead that's why i I'm a big fan of you all, and I support you financially, is that you get the job done, and you go where others won't walk.
1: Amen. Amen. Well, I have a bunch of questions for you, and the first one, I just want to jump forward to something that that you may have talked about many times, but as a kid, not a kid, but as a teenager, I collected quarters. Josh, here's a quarter. I'm going to paint it while you tell us how many of these it's going to take. <laughs> you know what I'm doing right now, right? <laughs> I'm painting this I'm corner. I'm not sure. I'm painting this corner red. This, I mean, this quarter red. And uh, I have this analogy that I read in Evidence That Demands a Verdict about the state of Texas and this red quarter. Oh, yeah. Okay. So according to this analogy, I have way too much paint on it. Have you ever painted a quarter? Actually, that? that was
2: a actually it was a silver dollar, not a quarter.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, but I don't have a silver dollar. <laughs> okay, so if I if I were to paint this and drop this in a pile of other silver dollars in a, a place at the size of Texas, right? And I made them a foot deep. And then
2: let me, tell, let me tell the story. Please do. If you take the state of Texas, two feet deep Ooh. of silver dollars, or quarters of the same size, yeah, two feet deep, take one silver dollar a quarter and put a check on it, a mark or anything, then throw it into the entire state, mix it all up, and then blindfold a man or woman in El Paso and let them just start walking or waiting through the coins. Mm -hmm. And that randomly, in one minute, one hour, one day, one week, one month, they would just stop, Mm -hmm. blindfolded, reach down and pick up a silver dollar. Take off the blindfold. The possibility that in the entire state of Texas, two feet deep of silver dollars, they pick the check silver dollar, is a probability only eight of these prophecies fulfilled in Christ could be fulfilled, the probability of it. One in every one times 10 to the 147th power. Wow. And Yeah, and, that's wow.
1: And how many total
2: prophecies of Christ were fulfilled? There's a little over 300 that I document in that book yeah. that you held up. Yeah. I document the prophecy and the fulfillment.
1: Wow. Absolutely incredible. And I remember going through those and studying those, and they really helped build the foundation uh, upon which ultimately sent me to Biola, where when I was at Biola, I think I met your son, Sean. <laughs> they let you in at Biola? <laughs> they did. After they let you in, the standard was completely, <laughs> you were a Talbot guy, right?
2: <laughs> yep. they wouldn't let me in at Biola. Go ahead
1: about Biola. I, I was, I was. uh it, it really helped build this foundation, and some of the arguments in here, like the trilemma that you talk about, I think Lewis may have come up with it initially. Fact, fiction, or fraud? He's either the liar, lunatic, or Lord. Those actually made Christafari album lyrics. I got those ideas from reading that book. That ultimately, cool. At, I'm singing reggae. I'm singing Josh McDowell reggae. <laughs> So as so well, top- you said,
2: I got, I, got, I got much of that from C.S. Lewis, and then I adapted it.
1: Yeah.
2: And uh, the trilemma, yeah. in other words, you can't call Jesus a good man. He never left that open Mm-mm. because he claimed to be God. He claimed to be God in human flesh. He came to forgive your sins. He claimed that uh, he would die dine across your sins. If that wasn't true, then he was not a good man. He was a liar and a hypocrite if it was true then he was lord and god so it came down to the conclusion your only alternative with christ is he was either lord god a liar or a lunatic yes. there's nothing in between uh and if he was a lunatic the truth accomplished more good than a lie ever did and if he's a lunatic what about the rest of us and, uh, and yeah
1: what about the disciples why would every one of them die for their faith for a lunatic it just wouldn't make sense
2: that's right. And so it was a trilemma that after I came to conclusion about a lot of the evidence that I documented in that book you're holding up, Evidence That Amends a Verdict, when I concluded all that evidence, what brought me over to Christ was the trilemma.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: When I realized I could not call him a liar or a lunatic. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget when I called him Lord God <laughs> and trusted him as Savior and Lord, invited him into my life. And so the trilemma played a major part in in bringing me over that line to trust Christ. Amen. Now, And I, it really wasn't, let, let me say this, it really wasn't all the evidence that brought me to Christ. Really? What brought me to Christ is the evidence showed me that the Bible was true and Christ was the Son of God. That doesn't mean you're going to come to Christ. What brought me to Christ is when I finally read the Bible, the message in it because Mm. I concluded it was true, Mm. was God's love. When he said, I've loved you in everlasting love with tender kindness I've drawn you. Mm. It was God's love that if I was the only person alive, he still would have died for me. I still can't grasp that. It was that, the love of Christ that brought me. The evidence just laid the foundation for me to read the scriptures and give the Holy Spirit something to work on.
1: Amen. Amen to that. Your your mind was finally open to it when when all those answers, all those questions were answered. But your heart was really the thing that he was gunning for. And I, and I, I love your testimony how you were talking about these Christians that were just ridiculously happy, and you didn't get it. And and of course, the way you saw Christians were you know these they were closed minded. They had they were uh, what would tell me. Tell us about those things that led you to ultimately coming to Christ.
2: Well, I was, uh, when I went to the university, I was angry. I was wounded. I was mad. I was ticked off at God, at my parents, everything. Hmm. And uh, for a number of reasons, growing up, my father was a town drunk. I hardly ever knew him sober until I was 20 years old. Oh, man. And literally many times, if I wasn't trying to kill him, he was trying to kill my mother. Literally, physically. And uh, he was a wino. And he would hide his wine bottles and I'd go find them, And I'd urinate in them. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, I would do anything to shame him. And in the university, I met these students and two professors, eight students, and their lives were different. Now, a lot of people are different because they're weird. These people are different because they seem to have a genuine love for each other and others around them.
0: Mm -hmm. So
2: I made friends with them one day. I asked them, what what makes you so different? Why are your lives? This one young lady, no, she was cute. I used to think all Christians were ugly, but she (laughs) was really cute. And she looked back at me and just said two, two words I never thought I'd ever hear. She said, Jesus Christ. I said, oh, for God's sake, don't give me that garbage. And I lit into them, they didn't back off. And they challenged me to intellectually examine two things. The Bible as being the word of God and true which I thought was a joke, because I truly believe Christians had two brains. One was lost and the other was out looking for it. I oh, thought, there were bunch of walking, I thought <laughs> they were a bunch of walking idiots. Second, they challenged me to examine Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the Savior. Mm. So I did it to refute them. Mm. I did it. The whole background of the book that you held up, yeah. Evidence, Man, is a Verdict, was to write that against Christianity. <laughs> I love that. And so I left the university, traveled throughout the United States, england germany france the middle east together the evidence to write that book to refute it all and i became a christian <laughs> it just overwhelmed me and finally i just said i'm a hypocrite my mind tells me it's true my will won't obey it and so that December nineteenth, 1959 at eight thirty at night i put the test and became a christian and people say how do you know i said i was there <laughs> it changed It changed my life. And uh, so that's when I wrote, hold that book up again, but where people can see the front of it. The new evidence man's a verdict. Tell you what, you send me an email with your physical address and I'll send you the new version. My son and I have completely rewritten it because there's so much new evidence. And I will send you the new version, which goes back to the title, evidence that demands a verdict mm. and i will send you a copy for your library and what's the email uh, oh i
1: can't give it to you okay <laughs> okay go, what, what website can they go to
2: josh.org okay Excellent. for you
1: now oh, for- others <laughs>
2: Okay, I'll just- just, I'm not going to send it to everyone. It's a forty dollar book. I was going to say that's a very generous. You have my, you have my phone number, email. I'm on I your got email it. list. Send I'll, me an email with your I'll physical address, uh, and I will send you. Okay, great, a copy. Great, 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 great. Not great. all your fans. So, Golly, boy, you got to be on the ball doing an interview with you. So here's my next question. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Josh, what was the timeline between that conversation with those people and when you came to Christ? Yeah, yeah. What was the timeline between the conversation with those people and when you came to Christ? Yeah.
2: Oh boy, let's see. About eight months to a year. Wow. Incredible.
0: Yeah.
1: Now when you before you came to Christ, you were wrestling with a few things. I and in your one of your bios, you were talking about was it uh, struggles with where you go in the future? What, what were some of the things you were struggling with?
2: Well, there were several things. The biggest thing was from six to 13 years old for seven years, every week, two or three times, I was homosexually raped by a man by the name of Wayne Bailey.
0: Mm.
2: He was hired by my parents on the farm to be a cook and a housekeeper. Whenever my mother would go out to the fields to work or go downtown shopping, or my parents would go away once a month for a few days, my mother would always make me stand in front of this man and say, now, Josh, you obey Wayne. You do everything he tells you to do. Mm. And when I get home and find out you've been disobedient. You're gonna get a whipping. Oh no. So what do you do at six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old? You do what Wayne Bailey tells you. Mm. And uh, finally, I I got up enough courage and I became stronger. I was growing up some, and he came up and put his hand on my right shoulder, and I spun around, grabbed him around the throat, threw him against the wall, pinned him, and said, if you ever touch me again, I will kill you. Mm. And you know, I probably would have. He never touched me again, Mm. but if I'd have killed him then, they'd have sent me up for life. Today, it would be extenuating circumstances, Mm. but not back then. And that had a profound effect upon me Mm. and a profound effect. I despise my dad and my mom for letting it go on. Uh, And when I told my mother, she whipped me. Oh, my God. Made me take my shirt off and took a leaf, a branch off a tree and whipped me, saying I did not raise you to be a liar. I can understand that. You see, back then, no one talked about it. You didn't read about it in the magazines or see it on TV, radio, or anything. And my mother and dad was brought up in a little town in Idaho. Mm. And so they just couldn't believe that could happen to me. So my mother would whip me, and that was the... Her whipping probably did more emotional damage than all the times of being raped for seven years. Wow. Because that's when when I gave up hope. Mm. And when you lose hope, become depressed and I, I gave up hope there was no one I could turn to uh, and then my father being the town drunk affected me one was such shame in a tiny town where everybody laughed and tell jokes about it
1: yeah
2: and second as a little kid I internalized that my father drank because I wasn't wasn't worth having a relationship with
0: oh no now
2: that had that had nothing to do with it Mm. but that's how I felt and uh, so those are two of the main things that I struggled with uh, in my life and of course I dealt with the things that many people who am I where am I going what's life all about yes and I just thought life was crap Mm. excuse the language I just thought it was a lot of crap yeah and uh, then when I saw these young people the love they had for each other boy was it different Hmm. And, and because of my background and everything, I really wanted what they had. Mm-hmm. And when they said, Jesus Christ, I just laughed at them. But deep down in, I knew I had to examine it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I thank God I did. And that brought me to Christ. And uh, I went to the man who raped me for seven years, drove 45 miles to Jackson, Michigan, Whoa. knocked his door and I said, Wayne, what you did to me was e- evil, very evil. But I've come to know Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord, and I've come here to tell you one thing. God, Jesus died for you as much as he died for me. Oh. And I turned around and left and never saw him again. He died about seven years later.
1: Oh, my gosh. That so Those profound. are some things that
2: brought me, the Holy Spirit used in my life to bring me to Christ
1: wow and i love you said who am i and of course that completely changed or the realization of it completely changed when you gave your life to christ why am i here <laughs> you were studying pre-law and Where am I going and where am i going you were studying pre-law at the time you were going to be a lawyer maybe why did you want to be a lawyer
2: because i was going to become a multi-multi millionaire and the governor of the state of Michigan. Oh wow! I was then I was going to become a U.S. senator. Oh wow! And I was on my way. I made a lot of money my first two years in college. Mm. I started a company called uh, what was it called? <laughs> I can't even think of it now. Oh, well, anyway, I started this company and then sold it and did well as a student. Hired other students. Um, it was a painting company.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so I uh, traveled all over the world trying to find answers. Mm-hmm. And I finally just concluded it's true. And December the 19th. I just said, God, if you're God and Christ is your son, and he died on the cross for me, then I want you to become into my life so my Savior and Lord. Amen. And you have instant coffee, instant tea, and instant Christians. You don't become, well, you don't become a Christian until you place your trust in Christ as Savior Lord. Amen. Now, some people know the exact time they did that. Others don't. Mm-hmm. They just know they did it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I concluded I'm a child of God, creating the image of God with infinite value, dignity, and worth. No matter what my father would say or what had ever happened to me, I was creating the image of God, and I was grateful. Of great worth, and what that did to me in helping develop my worldview and my compassion for people, I realized that others are created in the image of God. No matter, even Hitler was created in the image of God. Wow! With infinite value, dignity, and worth. Mm. And if if God could love someone, Jesus loves someone. Why couldn't I? Mm. And it humbled me. Wow. And so God gave me the chance to overlook a lot of biases, prejudices, people. To share Christ with them.
1: That is so profound. And you changed from becoming wanting to become a senator to becoming one of the top defenders of the faith, uh, the kingpin of apologetics, <laughs> the, the author of so many books. Why do you have such a passion for apologetics? And what is apologetics to a layman?
2: Apologetics from the, comes in the Greek word apologia uh like in peter's says be ready always to give an answer an apology means positive Mm -hmm. to be an apologist means to give forth positive answers why uh you believe Mm -hmm. and so people call me an apologist uh because my 152 books mainly are giving answers to truth about love about relationships about god about the scriptures christ Mm -hmm. the resurrection and all uh so what was the other part of your question? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you answered both parts. Absolutely. Oh, why did I become interested in apologetics? Mm-hmm. Because it's what God used to bring me to Christ. Oh, yes. And, and uh, I realized so many others. I mean, I was even meet, I'd say 95% of the believers I meet, met didn't even know the answers that I learned as a non-believer why it's true. <laughs> and... Uh, so, since it was part of my testimony, my life, my DNA, my worldview, I became known as an apologist in writing, speaking, traveling. Josh, the only problem is I I can't sing. Oh gosh, <laughs> Josh, I I am
1: into movies. I do a lot of music videos. We've done about eighty some odd now, and some Christian movies are great. Some of them are really cheesy, but I really want to see a modern version of your testimony. I mean, we saw Case for Christ. It has moments of that. We saw I Can Only Imagine. It definitely has moments of that, but I think yours is so rich. When is, that, when is this going to happen?
2: Well, there was a movie done, and boy, it broke every record and won every, every um, uh, film festival in Canada, Europe, everywhere, called Undaunted.
1: Oh,
2: yeah, undaunted. It's uh, released in video. Uh-huh. It wasn't done for movie theaters, but it's boy, the group that did it was incredible. Oh uh-huh. my gosh! It, I, it's hard for me to watch it because it's so real. Okay, it is so real, and uh, you can go to Josh.org or Amazon and get it undaunted. Okay. the story of the young life of Josh McDowell. Wow. And then there's a group in Hollywood. Last year, has been showing an interest in doing a major production on my life, but my staff's handling I don't know where it is, and now that you've mentioned it, I got to find out. Please do, because, uh, I,
1: I mean, the, the Case for Christ was an incredible, uh, incredible concept, and I love how you approached it from a very different angle, and from a different side, and the whole traveling, and, and your testimony, to be frank, I didn't know. Some of the things that, that you were raised in, that's some thats some serious crap, as you would
2: say. <laughs> hey, come and take me out to a steak dinner and you'll learn some more. <laughs> <laughs> when the restaurants After open After the up. lockdown. <laughs> After the lockdown,
1: right. <laughs> so here's yeah. my question for you. When it comes to apologetics, I remember at Biola, every once in a while, they would bring in this key apologetics guy I won't say his name and then they bring in this atheist or whatever and then they'd start just going at it and it was like it was like watching a fight every time somebody swung a punch you'd be like oh that's good but then you're like wait that guy's getting hurt how do you win an argument without losing a friend how do you win a soul without making a loser
2: I never debate which I've done many huge debates with thousands out in universities, I never debate or share with someone to win an argument. Good. I debate or share to win a soul. Amen. And uh, in Peter said, be ready always give an answer for the hope that is in you and yet with gentleness and reverence. Gentleness and respect. And I have to watch myself because I can... I like a good fight. I like a good argument. I love. I run towards conflict. You can ask my wife. My wife runs from conflict. <laughs> I run to conflict. That's me and i No, right when, there. when I'm in conflict, when a discussion or what, I mean my adrenaline just pumps. Yeah, it, it I rises. come. I come alive with uh, dopamine. And uh, dopamine is not taking dope. That's a chemical in your body. <laughs> exactly. Uh it. The best thing is when I finish a conversation, walk away, it is my, and it doesn't always happen. I pray whether that person comes to Christ or not, that they will believe I met someone who cares about me. Mm. And that's when I, and I have to admit many times that probably hasn't happened. Yeah. But that's my, that's my goal. Mm. That when somebody walks away, I say, wow, I sure don't agree with him, but he sure believes it. And he loves me. Yeah. And, uh, I remember I was uh, at University of Oklahoma back in the 70s when Marxism was quite prominent in many campuses. Mm -hmm. And I was at University of Oklahoma, a huge crowd out. And this fellow came up to me, got me alone. And and I said, how can I help you? He said, I just want to look you in the eyes. I said, why? He said, I had to come up here to see, look in your eyes and see if you really believe what Mm -hmm. you just said. Wow, deep. And it, and it came to Christ. And so I said, wow, am I glad I didn't have dark glasses on? <laughs> Maybe that was a, a killer vision, a killer instinct he saw or something. But that was interesting. He said, I don't want to believe anything until I can look that person in the eye and know if they believe it. Isn't that something You know
1: what? I had heard a lot of arguments when I was a drug addict. As a teenager, my parents would make me go to these camps, winter, summer, winter, summer. I went to 14 of them. Uh, They would make me sit down with pastors, psychologists, AANA, you name it, all the CAs, everything. And I just put up that wall. I didn't ever never never helped. It never helped, did it? No, no, it didn't. It didn't because I saw it as an intervention and I was not wrong. They were wrong. They were the killjoys and I saw Christians as as the ultimate killjoys. But then one day I met that guy who loved reggae, who was seriously relatable. My name was Mark, his name was Marcus. We had so much in common. We listened to the same band
2: Steel Pulse that's right there except on my wall. He was wall. a believer and you except he was a believer and you were a heathen exactly and
1: he didn't judge me one day i just said we have so much in common what's the difference between you and i and he said it's the love of god and that began my Whoa. my huh. tunneling where i started digging and realizing huh. he has what i need what i want same past different future different he his eyes were lit mine were just dark and uh, so it's a very similar way when that person said jesus christ you're like oh snap that's not what I want to hear. I'm going to prove
2: her wrong. <laughs> wow, yeah. that's profound. I've got to go here, Mark. Yeah. I have to go here in a few minutes.
1: Yes. All right. So with that in mind, here's my, my most important question for you. When you prayed that prayer, I think there were four things that you said and, uh, What would you say to somebody that is seriously considering right now, that's looking into your eyes and and saying, does this guy have what I've been looking for? What would you say to somebody who's on the fence?
2: I would say that it's very important to realize that Christianity is not a religion. Religion is many women trying to work their way to God through good works, religious ritual, etc. That's not Christianity. Christianity is a relationship. It's God coming to us Mm -hmm. and offering a relationship with us. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And in Exodus, I'm pretty sure it's in Exodus. I can't think of the verse right now. Uh, He is a jealous God, which means this. He is jealous means to be passionate.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: He's a God who is passionate about a relationship with you. Mm -hmm. Wow, Mm -hmm. I gotta look up that reference. I've known it for years and my mind's blank. But it's to realize that God created you to have a relationship with him and to spend Mm -hmm. eternity with him, not separated. And that you start this relationship through prayer, which is simply expressing your desire to God. Mm -hmm. And then I would say, this is a prayer that I prayed, if this is sincerely the prayer of your heart, then maybe you could quietly in your own way, pray it to your heavenly father who wants to be your father. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, Thank you for dying on the cross for me, forgive me and cleanse me. Right this moment, I place my trust in you as Savior and Lord. Take over the control of my life. Thank you that I can trust you. In Christ's name, amen. That's how you start a relationship with God, and then you need to grow in God. And this is where people tune into your podcast, they're gonna be able to grow in Christ.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, that's I hardly ever take an hour to do any interview in my life. <laughs> Mark. This Even is my special. own staff said, You're doing an hour interview from this three is, to four? This is a special I said, thing. Well, you gotta, you gotta you gotta understand Mark. He doesn't <laughs> say no. But I'm no, an evangelist,
1: thank you. So in addition to, to them getting this book, what are some some other ways that they can what are some other
2: books that they can read of yours? That- the best thing, the best thing, go to Josh dot org or go to Amazon,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: Uh, go to Walmart or whatever and get the book more than a carpenter. I love it's it. a small paperback, about 142 pages. You can find out how intelligent you are. Intelligent person can read it in about 45 minutes. Wow. 45 to 50 minutes. It's one of the most read books in history.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, between physical and digital, there's about 200 million copies in distribution. Wow. Uh, it was the first Christian book released in more than fifty languages and it's in wow. hundred and twenty nine languages. Wow. And it's a simple book. It's an easy book. But if I sat down with you and I had forty five minutes to share with you why well, I'm a believer, this is what I would share. Called More Than a Carpenter. And the updated version that I just completely rewrote, I did with my son, Sean McDowell, S E A N. So we wrote it together.
1: What's and it so like that's what I would with say with your son? What's it like working with him?
2: Oh, it's like you've died and gone to heaven. I never knew, Mark. I have three daughters and a son. I never knew your children would become your heroes in life. (laughs) My three daughters and my son are four of my greatest heroes. Mm -hmm. I respect them. I admire them. I look up to them. and, And once I said to my wife, how in the world? Did we end up with four kids like this with such a love for you and making a difference to the world? And they said, honey, it's the way you taught them. I said, what do you mean? I always taught truth in the context of relationships. Mm. I always taught truth how it can affect relationships. Mm -hmm. But whatever we did, and we had a lot of grace from God, I love being a daddy.
1: You must be a proud papa. And to see that.
2: Well, only one thing being a daddy is being the husband of Dottie. Amen. (laughs) Knowing Jesus knowing Dottie could be the two greatest things in my life.
1: Your daddy and your dotty. <laughs> oh, oh, oh okay. only you would say that, mark <laughs> dude i'm so I'm so blessed to be your friend, so blessed to have you uh, partnering with us, and so blessed to know that all that, those years of you pouring into those books have influenced me and and now I'm influencing others. Thank you so very much.
2: That's right changing the world, transforming the world, turning the world right side up. Mark, I need to go here, but I love you, brother. Love you, brother. Keep singing, Regai, and uh, keep putting Jesus at the center of all and keep going to Thailand and all these other places. Thank you, brother. And someday when I can afford you, we'll do something together with one of your songs.
1: We're missionaries. You can get us for free. Let's go. (laughs)
2: Let's maybe you put a couple ideas into your song Mm -hmm. on that. Send them to me. And I'll go over it and talk to some of my staff, and maybe something will come out of that. Let's do it. God bless you, brother. Yeah. Years ago, I did something very similar to with the, um, well, at that time, one of the top rock groups in the world, Petra. Oh, yeah. And uh, we ended up going to uh, stadiums. And at that time, we broke about every record there was. For wow. wow. Yeah. Hey, love you. Love you too, man. And God bless you. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye.
0: <laughs>
1: We hope you are encouraged and challenged through this powerful conversation with Josh McDowell. To help us make more life-changing content such as this, please partner with us today at CrySafari.com forward slash donate. Remember that Jesus is more than a carpenter that he is God and does not want you joining a religion but instead desires to be in a personal relationship with you see.
0: Listen to the
1: hypocrites and what they must say, he is the only way, yeah, listen to the false prophets and what they say. saying, now listen what they're saying, now hear what they're saying,
0: now listen what they're saying.